Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, if you think we've got the sauce, subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of March 7th, including. Cracks in Conservative Party of Canada support are finally showing. Canadians' thoughts on who is best to manage the economy in the age of COVID. The Canadian economy picking up steam. Racism at the Ryerson University Journalism School. Piers Morgan, Meghan Markle, and Oprah. The Stimmies out $1.9 trillion for the people. And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. So remember when I called the end of the Conservative Party of Canada as we knew it back in December? Yes. Looks like we're finally starting to see the crack show in their support. And based on analysis done by 338 Canada, Leger, and Abacus data, it's coming from places you'd expect like the Atlantic, Quebec, and Ontario. But surprisingly, or perhaps not, if you've been paying attention, it's coming from the West too. Hmm. In Abacus Data's first poll after O'Toole won the CPC leadership back in August 2020, 21% of Canadians liked him while 19% didn't, for a net favorability score of two. Those numbers held mostly steady until late fall and then started to take a turn for the worst. O'Toole went from a net rating of one in November to minus five in December and then to minus 12 just last week. Now, 32% of Canadians don't like what he's offering, in contrast to 20% of people who think he's doing all right. For the record, that same abacus poll showed impressions of PM Trudeau have remained pretty stable since September, but he's actually reduced negative impressions of him by 5% since the 2019 election. Right now, he's at 37% support and 40% of people saying they don't like him. At the end of the 2019 election, 38% of Canadians liked him, while 45% didn't. Interesting turn of events, eh? Very. Now, in my research for this episode, I did my normal reading and podcasting, and I have to say, I was pretty disappointed by an episode of FrontBurner that talked about O'Toole and the CBC's current standing with Canadians. What'd they say? Yeah, the, the host and guest literally asked out loud why the Conservatives are in this position, then proceeded not to highlight one single reason. Mm. Hmm. Might they be losing support in the West, the conservative heartland, because O'Toole is trying to make the party more palatable by moving it from flirting with the far right back to the political center? Or might he be losing support everywhere else due to stupidness like the Porter Party comment, trying to play up his toxic masculinity with other toxic men by joking that Trudeau's office 
should be a portal potty outside of the PMO instead. Or maybe it's his irresponsibility of being against common sense gun control in an age where people are more and more aware that gun control is necessary to keep people, especially women, safe. Right. Or maybe his comments that residential schools meant well when they stole kids from their parents and eventually committed genocide to our indigenous peoples. Or maybe it's due to his Trumpism, his use of slogans like, quote, take back Canada, end quote, or Canada first, which are dog whistles in a time where there's widespread appreciation, apparently even by him, that his Trump-like rhetoric can lead to violent attacks, not only on others, but on democracy itself. I mean, come on. Yuck, yuck. CBC's front burner had a great opportunity to contextualize why the conservatives are failing in the polls, and they didn't even try. It's worth noting that the Conservative Policy Convention is happening this week, if you're listening to us the week of March 14th. And if my past understanding is any indication, shit's going to get real. So patience. What are your thoughts on this political development? Does it make you think about an election? For sure. This is definitely happening because an election is coming. And I think we've spoken about this on the podcast so many times before. O'Toole is swinging back and forth like a, a, a pendulum does, right? He's not so sure if the party is at the stage where it can remain or return to the center or if they need to stay in that far right in order to get their base activated. Um, obviously O'Toole sometimes says some common sense shit that I'm like, okay, this is normal. Thank you for speaking like a normal, like, like like the average Canadian would, you know? And then other times, like, what do you mean, fam? (laughs) What do you you mean a residential schools meant well? Like, what are you talking about? So I think... There is a, a lot of of space at this policy convention for younger conservatives who may be more center to to make um, some noise and get O'Toole anchored a little bit more in, in the center. If not, I mean, we can always count on anti-maskers and, you know, mm-hmm. folks who seem to be raging against the government to go that that far far right that we're used to seeing in the media right now. Yep. What do you think? No, you're, I, I like your point about uh, you know uh, younger conservatives trying to make a change within the party, and um, you know as much as I, I do um, report a lot of negative things about the conservatives with good reason. Um, mm-hmm. I should point out people even like uh, Minister Lecce um, tried to bring in some very positive changes. And I, to be honest, I've totally, I forget exactly what they were. Mm -hmm. I do remember, however, that they were voted down. So I I do know that there is a push within the party, not only with with O'Toole, but with others to make the party more mainstream, more centrist. And also, even with the current convention happening, the party somehow found a way to make sure abortion wasn't on the agenda. Now, on the one hand, it's like, great, abortion's not on the agenda. On the other hand, it's like, why are we even having to talk about that? Is, but, it, is it a given then? Or <laughs> like, anyway, yeah. But it does it does speak to the the raging battle, really, the raging battle that's happening within the party and the possible progress that it's making at this time. Jumping to our next political story, turns out most Canadians find Trudeau's liberals to be the best stewards of the economy. 
which is actually a shocker since, as Nanos polling CEO Nick Nanos points out, Canadians have historically viewed conservatives as the best stewards of the economy, even though there's no evidence to back that up. Emphasis on evidence, mine, not Nick's. The wonders of PR. Hmm. Anyway, the Nanos poll commissioned by Bloomberg Media found that 33% of Canadians trusted Trudeau, most with the economy, compared to only 24% for Aaron O'Toole. It's not even close, fam. Interesting. Where does O'Toole have strong marks? In the West, as expected. He's at 35% there, but as I pointed out in my last story, he's beginning to lose support there too. Hmm. Interesting, eh? So let's look at some demographics. 30% of men and 35% of women think the liberals are the best stewards of our money. In comparison, 32% of men, but a low 16% of women think the conservatives are best, while an even lower 7% of men and 11% of women think so of the NDP. Hmm. Many pundits think an election could be called as early as April once the Feds produce their much-anticipated COVID budget. Others say it's likely to be in the fall when the Feds feel vaccine logistics are in the clear. So, patience. Why do you think more Canadians trust the Liberals with the economy today than before? I'm actually shocked, Curtis. <laughs> Genuine um, shock, yeah, right? I, I actually don't. I don't. I don't know why. I, I, I would always assume that. Canadian conservatives or Canadians generally would think that liberals spend too much money protecting folks who are vulnerable to the economy. And I don't, I guess I didn't think that that would change that much since the liberals have done a really good job of still protecting people who have lost their jobs and stuff like that. Perhaps it's just that we have more people who have lost, who, who have lost during this time. So it's okay to help people because, you know, I have a cousin or I have a brother or I have a, I know of someone who has lost their job at this time. And without these supports, they would be screwed. Like, I don't know. What what do you think? I, I hear what you're saying. From, from my perspective, I think this is the clearest signal yet that most Canadians are now totally okay with deficits, right? Hmm. Since he's been pretty clear from the jump that he's down for deficits if they stimulate the economy and lift people out of poverty, which they have been doing. Plus, Trudeau is doing a solid job speaking to the demographics that will give him his majority. For example, in the lead up to the budget, he revealed a woman-only task force that will help advise policymakers on how best to spend our tax money. So all Canadians take part in the recovery, especially women who've been among the hardest hit, right? That announcement was made on International Women's Day by Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland and Minister for Middle Class Prosperity, Mona Fautier. And the task force has 18 members that will meet this month ahead of the budget. And shout out to black women sitting on the task force like Claudette McGowan. Bop, bop. Yeah, Global Executive Officer for Cyber Affairs at TD Bank. So I think that kind of puts things into perspective, right? Eh? Mm-hmm. Jumping to the Canadian economy. Last week, the Bank of Canada said the economy weathered COVID's second wave better than expected and that it's starting to pick up steam. The bank also kept interest rates at 0.25% and restated that it doesn't plan on raising the rate until 2023, which means debt will continue to be cheap until then. So if you've got debt you're trying to get rid of, now's the time. In a statement, the bank said, quote, Consumers and businesses are adapting to containment measures and housing market activity has been much stronger than expected. 
improving foreign demand and higher commodity prices have also brightened the prospects for exports and business investment, end quote. Speaking of which, Canada's GDP growth in Q4 of 2020 was absolutely lit, (laughs) considering that our GDP growth was 9.6%, twice what was expected. Mm. And there's more good news. The bank also expects the economy to grow this quarter rather than contract. Even with all that positive news, the bank made clear that bare women, low-wage workers, and young people, groups hit hardest by COVID, are still underemployed, meaning that when all demographics are working at full strength again, the economy, I got on fire! (laughs) (laughs) Or at least that's the expectation. That said, our solid economic data, combined with President Moneybag Joe and his massive fiscal stimulus passed last week, has some old school thinkers, i.e. mostly extremely rich people who are against the transfer of wealth and will say anything to prevent it, worried about inflation. Case in point, RBC CEO David McKay had this to say, quote, we do see a challenge to the policy and therefore central banks having to respond to this being inflation in the latter half of 2022 with rate increases versus where you might have thought late 2023 or even 2024, six months ago, end Mm. quote. That said, the bank did reiterate, that's RBC, did reiterate that it expects inflation to slow in the second half of this year. Now, look, I thought this was important to discuss not only because we're literally living through history, and so it's important to take stock of key developments in how we've coped through the virus and the effects it's had on our collective understanding of the role of government in our lives. But also, because if you look at Aaron O'Toole's social media over the past few weeks, one of his common themes was how badly our economy was doing in comparison to other countries. Now, why do you think he'd be trying to do that, even if the facts so clearly contradict him, Patience? Obviously, he wants to win the election. He wants people to pick his party to fix the economy. No? Is that yeah. obvious? Is that... Like, so, absolutely, you're right. But, I'm like, there's, there's, there's a specific thing I'm trying to get at here. And what it is, is part of the conservative fabric is a healthy dose of fear and skepticism of the other or anything that isn't easily understood. They know that if they can sort discord with as many people as possible, like you said, it helps them. And it's a damn shame. Moving on to blackity black black stories. So my first story is a little bit light because I think we, we deserve a little bit of levity in our lives. We're all on a journey, right? We're on a journey when it comes to eradicating racism and other forms of discrimination. This week, the founder of Papa John's, the, the, the Papa John himself, said in a video interview that, quote, he is not racist. He has just spent months getting rid of the N-word from his vocabulary, end quote. (laughs) John, the founder and former chief executive of Papa John's Pizza has, and I have to repeat this for you guys, has been trying to get rid of the N-word in his vocabulary ever since he lost his role as a public face of the company for using it more than two years ago. So again, when he used it two years ago, um, he used it while in a conference call. Um, and, you know, he, he was using it in the context of reflecting on his early life in Indiana, where 
He said people used to drag African-Americans from trucks until they died. So question for you, Curtis, is there a racial slur that took you months to remove from your vocabulary? There was that time. No! (laughs) Oh my gosh. Full stop! Yuck. Yuck. Moving on to our next story. On, On Monday morning, Ryerson journalism students issued a public letter accusing the school of failing to represent and support Black, Indigenous, and people of color and LGBTQ students in the program. The letter said that the school has contributed to an unsafe learning environment rife with discrimination that has left students traumatized. Hmm. Two chairs of the Ryerson School of Journalism have stepped down as a result of the open letter, of the public letter. In her resignation letter, former chair Lisa Taylor explained her reason for stepping down. Quote, some students don't believe that I'm in their corner, which means they may not turn to me if they're in need. And having an undergraduate program director who was a trusted resource for only some students is truly inequitable, end quote. A spokeswoman for Ryerson said the school, quote, continues to acknowledge the work that needs to be done to address systemic racism, end quote, and will continue to take concrete steps to address the students' concerns. I'll be honest with you, Curtis, this one kind of surprised me. I, I, I'm currently uh, wrapping up. I've been wrapping up this PhD for a minute, but I'm currently <laughs> wrapping up. <laughs> I saw it go sometimes, man. I saw it go. <laughs> wrapping up at Ryerson. And it wasn't the place that I would predict to to have this this kind of, of blow up happen. Uh, not to say that there wouldn't be racism, but um, I'm surprised that it it, re- it required this public letter to to make these these chairs or these um, folks in charge step down. What do you think? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's interesting. I, I never went to Ryerson. I went to York. But um, back in 2012, um, I was a part of an organization called B2026. Before 2026, that was based out of Ryerson. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus was on getting, uh, I think it was 30% of Canada's elected positions filled by women. Oh, Wow before 2026. And so we had a large event there, you know, there was, there was support obviously from faculty, et cetera. And the reason why I was a part of that, even though I didn't go to Ryerson is because like the head of the organization was at Ryerson. Mm-hmm. 
So with that in mind, it's like I, I considered Ryerson to be one of the more progressive entities, one of the more pro- progressive institutions. Right. Um, so it's interesting to hear this, like you said. But, you know, it's good that change is, is happening. Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, has finally been permanently cleared of all charges. I'm not sure if everyone knew this, but the boyfriend of Brianna Taylor has had an attempted murder charge pinned against him, saying that he shot and wounded a police officer at his home. Again, reminding you, during the raid that was not supposed to happen, Kenneth Walker fired at officers who he said he believed were attackers breaking into the couples, into his home. Police claim that they made it clear who they were before knocking the front door down. I can't, can we just stop? I'm not done the story, but can we just stop? What the? What are you talking about, fam? Nah, I was about to be like, no, the fuck you did not. In the middle of the night. What do you mean you made it clear before you knocked the front door down? Stupid. Anyway, they reportedly knocked on the door to announce their presence before breaking it down in a battering ram. Also, to be clear, none of their um, body cams were on that night, so we have no proof of what happened. Uh, Mm. And I think if they were telling the truth, there would be no reason why the body cams would be off. Right. Brianna's boyfriend said that he fired out of self-defense. Three officers returned fire with 32 shots, six of which killed Kenneth's girlfriend, Brianna Taylor. Her name became part of what we know already, a global Black Lives Matter protest, as people demanded a thorough investigation into her death. Detectives Miles Cosgrove and Joshua Jaynes were recently fired from Louisville police over their involvement, with authorities finding Cosgrove didn't follow procedures with use of force and failed to use a body camera in the search. So, I mean, it's great that they were fired. There were no charges placed against them. There were only charges against Walker, Kenneth Walker, who uh, has now been relieved of those charges. But, like, this is absolute madness. And, again... We will never forget to say her name, um, Brianna Taylor. Moving on to news from the world. Since we're coming off of International Women's Day this week, I thought I'd bring up two stories centered on women from around the world. The first one, I mean, long story short, in case you have been hiding under a rock this week, (laughs) Meghan Markle and Prince Harry sat down with Oprah on Sunday, actually not on Sunday, but it was broadcasted on Sunday, March 7th, and discussed how she was treated while serving as the Duchess of Sussex for the British royal family. In the interview, Megan says lots of really seriously devastating things about her experience. But one of the most devastating included that she contemplated suicide while pregnant with her son, Archie. Mm. The morning after the airing of this interview, Piers Morgan on ITV's Good Morning Britain shared that he did not believe that Meghan Markle had contemplated suicide. I believe he's a dickhead. Right. You and 41,000 others because ITV swiftly, swiftly (laughs) announced the decision that Piers had made to leave Good Morning Britain after receiving 41,000 complaints about his comments around suicide. That is the second highest number of complaints in Ofcoms, the UK's media watchdog agency's 17-year history. He's a real dickhead, man. (laughs) Like, 
but why why this is i'm going off on a tangent this uh, a number of times today why do you hire people like this for your good morning shows for the ratings fam like you're so triggering everything you say and and honestly, from my perspective, Piers didn't really care about the whole suicide thing. He didn't believe anything she was saying about the racism. I think it was the racism that inflamed him. But the only way they could get him out of Good Morning Britain was to talk about his comments around suicide. Mm-hmm. I hear you. An ITV spokesperson said, following discussions with ITV, Piers Morgan has decided now is the time to leave Good Morning Britain. ITV has accepted this decision and has nothing further to add. (laughs) 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 Following an outcry, Pierre said on Tuesday that, quote, I still have serious concerns about the veracity of a lot of what Megan said, but that it was not for me to question if she felt suicidal. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yo! He added, my real concern was a disbelief, frankly, that she went to a senior member of the royal household and told them she was suicidal and was told she could not have any help because it would be a bad look for the family. So you, 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 uh, you apologize, you apologize for not believing her, but you, you still don't believe her. The thing don't make no sense. And then the man said, you know, on Wednesday, fam. So this, but he, he left Good Morning Britain on Monday. On Wednesday, after giving enough time to sit back, relax, reflect, chill out, <laughs> you know, breathe, meditate, do what you need to do. He doubled down, sharing a picture of a Winston Churchill quote on Twitter. Uh, Morgan wrote, on Monday, I said I didn't believe Meghan Markle in her Oprah interview. I've had time to reflect on this opinion, and I still don't. Mm. Well. Welp. Welp is correct. So, Piers Morgan is canceled. and uh, He's been canceled, how do you mean? Been, yeah, it's true. He, he's, he's in that, that realm of, of white folks that we don't um, entertain any, any longer. Fam, he's been in that realm. I'm telling you, he used to be on CNN when I was like, bit, like we're talking about like 10 years ago, okay? I don't and remember him being on was, CNN. But yeah. He was booted from CNN because he was too bombastic. <laughs> Mr. Bombastic. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought about what you said. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. He like, that was so bad. And shout out to, for those of you who've been watching uh, all the clips on social media, shout out to Dr. Shola, who ripped this guy into pieces. Word. Like, the queen is not above reproach. The queen <laughs> is not above reproach. You disgust me. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Moving on to our next story, Africa has the highest number of female inventors in the world. Uh, The Intellectual Property Office in the UK has published a study revealing a list of the countries with the highest share of female investors, and their findings show that African nations have the highest proportion with Togo in West Africa as the Hmm. clear leader. Interesting. They measured inventors by exploring who holds patents around the world and what gender they are. 57% of patents submitted by Togo between 1998 and 2017 were submitted by female inventors, 
followed by 45% submitted by women from Uganda. A uh, close third is Europe's Latvia, before two more African countries show up with Liberia and Rwanda at 39% and 38% respectively. The good news is that this is representative of a general worldwide trend. Women are inventing more than they have ever before. And just for, from a, from a historical perspective, before 1965, the share of women submitting patents was under 3%. And now in 2021, it is much closer to 20%. So apparently now was the time to create something, ladies. That is excellent. I want to make one comment, actually. Yeah. I mean, this is a representation of Africa rising. And I, I love, I know, you, you know, we've talked about this. and We talk about it every time we kind of can. And it never gets old. I love talking about it. Yeah. Um, this week, there was also... Uh, at least the the announcement was made uh, with Ghana's president and uh, the Swiss president that Ghana, with with Switzerland's help, uh, instead of shipping their cocoa to Switzerland and having the Swiss the Swiss have their their manufacturing mm-hmm, sector mm-hmm. grow, now that sector is going to grow in Ghana instead. Wow. That happened this week. That's huge. It's huge. So Swiss chocolates will be made in Ghana? Essentially, that is what's going to happen. That's really cool. They're going to be made in Ghana now. And I I read, I saw, I read rather, I I watched the entire announcement uh, with um, Ghana's president mentioning, you know, now is a great time for Swiss and other companies to invest in Ghana. Mm -hmm. Invest in Ghana's production of chocolates and other chocolate products. So this is, that's the yet another example of Africa's rise in this time. It's huge. Moving on to news from our Southern neighbor, Biden signs a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill on Thursday. Money back, money back, money. (laughs) (laughs) Clearing the way for stimulus checks and vaccine aid. Biden's signing of the $1.9 trillion relief bill is said to be the largest transfer of wealth in a generation. Mm. Democrats finally have the numbers to pass legislation on their own in the House. And this is clearly a demonstration of that because the Republicans were not about this life. Word. After President Joe Biden's election in November, many economists thought this is going to be a divided Washington and they would only be able to agree on a relatively modest stimulus package. But that calculation changed after those wonderful, wonderful runoffs that we saw in Georgia. Shout out to Stacey Abrams. These opened the door to passing party line legislation to boost the economy. The plan will send direct payments of up to $1,400 to most Americans with checks hitting the bank accounts as soon as this weekend. The plan also will extend a 300 per week unemployment insurance boost until September 6th. Note that more than 20 million Americans are currently on unemployment insurance right now. 20 million Americans. That's almost two thirds of our country. Take that in. Wild. The plan will also expand the child tax credit for a year and put puts funds into vaccine distribution. 
After the Biden stimulus, U.S. economic growth could rival China's for the first time in decades. Mm-hmm. This would be a remarkable achievement because the United States is a much more mature economy and was blown away by China's explosive growth out of the Great Recession. So we're talking, what, 2008, 2009, right? Yep. For average Americans, this optimism signals a stronger job market and better prospects for prosperity after what we all know was a dreadful 2020. Mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley expects the U.S. unemployment rate to drop below 5% by the end of this year and below 4% by the end of next year, 2022. Thoughts on this, Curtis? As President Money Joe, Money Bag Joe would say, this is a big fucking deal. Yeah. Straight up, like... Not only so, look, we have to point out certain things about this. No Republican voted for it, yeah. despite the fact that it was highly popular with Republican voters as well. It's something like seventy percent of the elect the the American electorate loved this bill. Of course, right? they did. It's twenty. It's going to help twenty million Americans. Like, are you kidding? And one of the biggest things about there's a lot of big things in here, but one of the biggest things that this bill does that it hasn't done, that America hasn't done in a long time, is give direct payments to people for their kids. Right. It is massive. And I wanted to plug real quick because they based that program off of the program we have here in Canada called the Canada Job Better. Do you feel me? Oh, did they not have that before? They did not have it before. Oh, man. um, It it wasn't direct payment. I didn't know that. I, I, I forget exactly what it was. But the point is now... The program is going to cut child poverty in the United States in half, fam. Wow. Wow. Like this, this, this bill is huge. 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 Right? And so like there might be people who will say, oh, well, what's it doing specifically for black people? Black people are among some of the poorest in the United States. 100%. Easily. Big picture. Mm-hmm. It's huge. So uh, th- this is great. I'm, I'm like, this is, you know... For me, when when Trudeau was first elected, it's like, yo, this is why people, this is why he was elected. And now I'm looking at it from up north, looking at the United States. That's why Joe was elected. Yeah. And by the way, and by the way, the Washington Post uh, put together an article basically saying Biden's stimulus shows he's governing like Bernie. Oh, that was not Washington Post. That was Business Insider. And Bernie Sanders had this to say about it. Let's be clear. The American Rescue Plan, that's Biden's plan, is the most significant piece of legislation to benefit working people in the modern history of this country. Wow. Not only are we going to go forward to crush this pandemic, to rebuild our economy, and to get our kids back to school safely, with this legislation, we're going to do something even more important. We're going to help restore faith in the U.S. government among the people of our country. Yeah. The people are hurting, and finally... We have responded, end quote. Wow. I mean, it goes without saying, then. Just mic drop after what Bernie said. Right? Mic drop. Jump into questions for the audience. So I was reading about the media landscape and Canadians' trust in it. And I saw that trust has diminished over time from the 80 to 87% a decade ago to the basically 48% to 50% who trust news media today. 
We've highlighted before that about 50% of adult Canadians can't read a passage without disregarding irrelevant information. Do you think there's an overlap there? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip To You. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Thank you.